So we begin uh, the season of Advent today, uh, and uh, the church, like our liturgical calendar, is reflective of our calendar year. January 1st begins our new year for us. The liturgical year begins actually with the season of Advent, and the whole purpose of a new liturgical year is to kind of reintroduce us, perhaps in a deeper way, to the truths of our salvation as revealed throughout the entire liturgical year, Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, and so on. The whole idea is for us to experience afresh in our life the the greatness of God's mercy and love for us, so that at the end of the year we say, I've encountered the Lord, I encountered his love for me, and I want to become more zealously, you might say, more faithfully his follower, and so I can share him with others. That's the whole purpose of the liturgical year. The church also reads predominantly a gospel in the liturgical year. Last year, uh, it was the year of Luke. This year, it's the year of Matthew. And Matthew wrote for a Jewish audience primarily. His whole, his whole heart, Matthew's whole heart, was to be able to help his Jewish audience to be able to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises, all the covenants, all the things that God did in Israel is, finds their fulfillment in Jesus. So we could say it for all together in a way that points us to the person of Jesus and to focus upon him. So we begin today with this uh, season of Advent and our reading uh, from the gospel reading from Matthew uh, talks about the second coming of Christ. And basically, uh, second coming is uh, sometimes a doctrine that we think, God, it seems so far out, like I'm not sure I can really, makes any sense to me. I like to think of it this way. It's a doctrine of the heart more than it's of the head. This is what I mean by that. When you know we have somebody that you love and they go away, you can't wait to the return. You know, because you love them, you want to have them back. You can't wait for them to return back to you. That's the way it is. As we grow in love for Jesus, we grow in love with his promises, his vision, we can't wait for him to come back. The season of Advent is a season in which to kindle in our hearts a new love for Jesus. So we want him to come back. And all his promises that he makes to us, promises that he's going to end war and end a division and quarreling and end sickness and disease is something that becomes real to us because we grow in love with him. So I like to say it's a doctrine of the heart more than the head. Because when somebody goes away that you love, you can't wait for them to return back. Advent is also a season of great expectancy. I like to compare it this way to a football, your favorite football team marching downfield on the, and they had the ball and it's almost the end of the game. They need to score and there's a great expectancy in your heart of them scoring. You know? Well, that's the way it is with Advent. It creates an expectancy of now. A little bit. The days of Noah, they did business as usual. They never expected there'd be a flood. They just relied upon the things they always relied upon. They relied upon the things that had that they felt they could trust. They thought their economy was great. They thought their political parties were great. They thought their political leadership was awesome. You know, they thought all these things. And Jesus was saying, they thought everything was okay. They didn't realize everything was coming to an end. And the question was, what are you relying on? What is your focus that is trustworthy? Hope is born out of that which is reliable. In a letter to the Hebrews, it says, seize the hope that lays before you. Hope brings boldness in us. It brings confidence in us. It strengthens our... In the days of Noah, their hope relied upon their economies, 
upon their, upon their politics, upon their governments. And Jesus was saying, it's coming to an end. That's not where your hope should be. Your hope needs to be in something more reliable. And he's going to point to himself as that which is reliable. In our first reading from uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, they too were facing a similar situation. There, Isaiah compares, uh, compares Israel to the mountain of the Lord. He says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He may teach us his ways, we may walk in his paths. Now, Israel, Jer- Jerusalem was actually on a mountain, but it wasn't the highest mountain. So Isaiah is kind of like exaggerating here because he wants to bring forth a point. He's saying, look, he says, look to the law, the Torah, instruction from the Lord as being what's reliable and trustworthy. In other words, look to the promises the Lord makes. Look to his character. Look to what he has made promises to our life about. He says, let that be instruction for you, and let that teach you, and let that be light for you. Now, this Torah will ultimately give way to the person of Jesus, because he becomes the new Torah of Israel. He becomes the new instruction to Israel. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, his whole focus was to restore hope to people's lives. What did he do? He walked into people's lives who were basically snake-bitten by wounds of the past, and he healed them and set them free. He gave them new beginnings. He came into people's lives who were fraught with patterns of sin in their life that they couldn't get free of, and he freed them. He set them free from his body, even by their families and communities because of that. And what did Jesus do? He healed them, he restored them, and gave them back their life and their families as well. Jesus was the great turnaround specialist as he walked into people's lives. He was restoring hope in the people's lives. He was restoring a sense of well-being into people's hearts. He was giving people a sense of destiny for their life. This was his agape love, we call it, which just means his unconditional love that he pours out to us. More about that in just a minute. Paul talks about in our second reading today from Letter to the Romans, he's talking to the Christian community at Rome. They're being kind of like feel the tension, the heat's on for them. They have Nero putting heat on them because they're Christians, and a lot of their neighbors are basically live a pagan lifestyle which is contrary to the way of Christ. And Paul wants them to remember three things. He says, stay awake. In other words, recognize the times you live in. You know, recognize what time it is. And therefore, act accordingly. You know, uh, a soldier on the front lines acts differently than a soldier, you know, several miles back. On the front line, there is an awareness. There is a certain sense of alertness and watchfulness. That's what Jesus is saying to the Christians in Rome. He's saying, hey, be alert, be watchful. In other words, there are things that are going to try to pull you away from Christ. The second thing he says, cast off deeds of darkness. And he begins to list what some of them are. Drunkenness, sexual immorality is another one. Quarreling and jealousy and divisiveness is another one. He says, look, when you guys were baptized into Christ, Christ gave you a whole new dignity and way of life, a whole new dignity about your body, a whole new dignity about your relationships with one another, a whole new dignity 
about your sense of well-being. He says, don't get into these things because they're going to create dysfunction, pain, and they'll bring shame into your life. He says, this will cause great wounding to you. Also, it'll cut you off from the life that's found in Christ. So he says, cast off those deeds of darkness. It's another way of saying repent. Repent has a kind of a bad connotation in our culture. It just simply means to turn away from that which is keeping us from a relationship with Christ and the fullness and abundance of life he wants to bring us. And the third thing he says, put on Christ, which means experience his agape love in your life, his unconditional love for you. He says that's the source of your hope for your life. Now, what is hope? Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not even optimism. And optimism can be good, but it's not, it's not what it is. Bible character and his promises because we experience his unconditional love in our life. Let me give you a couple examples of unconditional love. An elderly husband is caring for his wife of over 50 years. Last 10 years of their life, she has had dementia. And he's gotten older, she's gotten sicker. And as a result of that, he has to bring her to a health care facility full-time. She has to live there. He asked his pastor one day, would you go visit her? So the pastor went, and he got there about 9 o'clock in the morning to visit uh, this woman. Sure enough, what did he find? He found the elderly husband there. Uh, His wife's room was immaculate. It was completely in order. She was well-dressed. She had just finished breakfast. And he looked, the husband looked at the pastor and said, he says, I got here 6.15 in the morning. He says, you would think I was on the payroll, he says. So I was able to feed her and dress her and clean her room and make it nice. He says, and he says, and I will keep doing this until one of us dies. Love, agape love. Every other hour, alarm clock goes off wakes him up. He's caring for his teenage boy who's paralyzed from a car accident. During the day, they bring in therapists who massage his legs so the blood can circulate. But of course, the therapists go home. And so here's the father, having worked all day, sleeps in a recliner. Every other hour, an alarm clock goes off to remind him. So he gets up to massage the legs of his son so the blood can circulate freely. He has to get up and go to work the next day. Agape love. Unconditional love poured out to us. Take the story of Dan Mazua. Dan Mazua tells a story about Pop, his father. Pop is a first-generation Italian-American. And Pop has liver cancer and metastasized to... um, Also, it's in his lung as well. And Pop says, you know... He says, I'm okay with it, he says. My wife has predeceased me. She's went home with the Lord. My children are all grown. He said, I'm okay with it, he says. Then he found out that Dan was going to have another child. He was going to be a grandfather again. He says, I want to make it until I see my grandchild. So Pop goes through torturous chemotherapy treatments. And some days his friends will call him up and say, how are you doing? He says, it was a bad day today. Well, the time came for delivery, right? Pop is driven to the to the hospital. It's an hour and a half drive. It's torturous for him. But when he gets there, he's too weak to hold his grandchild. So Dan takes the child from his wife and puts the child in Pop's arms. And Pop holds the child for a few minutes and looks at her and says, Sheila Mary, Grandpop loves you and gives her a big kiss. 
holds on to her for a few minutes, gives her back to Dan. A few minutes, half hour later, he's in the car going back to his home. Four days later, he dies. What is it that can make an elderly husband go night and day to care for his father? Literally, sit up in his chair all night caring for his teenage son. What is it that a man can defy death? It's agape love. It's unconditional love. And that's not all the story. A young peasant girl in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago has a, a round belly, and God is in that belly. The God who created the universe and holds it in balance floats around in her womb. Why? Because of agape love, unconditional love. Look with me through the window of a woodwork building in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. You see a lanky, young boy sweeping sawdust off the floor. And yet he's the one whose word flung the stars in the sky. Why? Because of agape love, unconditional love for us. That's the nature of God's love for us. It's unconditional. How do we define unconditional love? One Christian writer described it this way. It's like this. Models share equal space in God's garage. That's the nature of unconditional love. We can't earn it. Because we can't earn it, we can't lose it. It's given to us freely. This unconditional love of Jesus of Nazareth is rejected by his hometown. He was mocked by the religious leadership. He was called a womanizer, a glutton, a sinner. Why did he do all that? He was, tra- he was traded in to the Romans by a good friend of his, his love for us. Advent is a time in which we re-experience and encounter our life, God's unconditional love for our life, because it's the source of our hope. It's the one thing that will make build confidence in us. It's reliable. It's trustworthy because he will not fail or disappoint us. Brennan Manon, Christian author, explained, described God's love as this way. His love is never, never based on our performance. It's never conditioned by our moods. He says, his love is the furious love of God that knows no shadow. It's always reliable, always tender. This is the kind of love that is the foundation for our life. And this is the kind of love that Advent invites us to experience in our life. Because this is the kind of love, this is the good news we pass on to others. This is the hope we offer to others' lives once we've experienced that for ourselves. So let's pray. Leadership today by a good friend. He did all that because of his love for us. An unconditional love which he knew no limits for us. So, Father, I pray today that as we enter the season of Advent, we would experience this furious love that you have for us, that our hearts would be captured by it in the season of Advent, that we would know more fully in our life 
the hope which our is based on. Help us, Lord, in this season of Advent to remove and cast off in our life those things that impede our relationship with you, that keep us from experiencing the abundant life that this love brings. We pray this through Christ our Lord.